Hey everybody, welcome back to the Single Tracks Podcast. Last week, Greg and John went out to Moab for Outer Bike, and we've got a couple of their bike reviews to share today. Also, a list of 50 must-have items in your mountain bike emergency kit, and some information about the Single Tracks forums. So Greg rode the Intense Tracer 275C Pro and really had a blast on it, and this is his review. Intense Cycles Tracer 275C has become the stuff of legends, but sometimes, unless you get up close and personal with a legendary figure, you'll never know how much of what you've heard is fact and how much is fiction. With the Tracer, despite its legendary status, I found that everything I'd heard fell into the fact category. There's no need to create any fiction, it's just that good. The Tracer sports 27.5 inch wheels, a full carbon frame, and 160 millimeters of travel front and back. The geometry can be tweaked via a pair of different shock bolting points in the suspension linkage, but the standard geometry offers a 66.5 degree head tube angle. I tested the Pro build, which is one step down from the top tier build kit. Retailing for $6,500, my test bike was specced with a RockShox Monarch Plus rear shock, a Pike fork, SRAM guide brakes, a SRAM X01 drivetrain, and DT Swiss E1700 wheels. I handpicked the Tracer as an ideal bike for a pedal up the High Massa Trail in the Amasa back area and a technical descent back down. I hadn't quite figured out what trail I wanted to descend, but as I pedaled my way up the climb, I quickly figured out what the Tracer was capable of. With 160 millimeters of travel, I expected to sacrifice a bit of pedaling efficiency on the climb and gain burliness on the descent. However, thinking that you have to sacrifice anything aboard the Tracer Carbon now seems like a laughable proposition. Due to what felt like a very low weight, the bike seemed to positively scamper up the climbs. And despite a burly shock, the VPP suspension design, that's the same linkage that Santa Cruz uses, felt beautifully firm under pedaling power. And I didn't use the Pro pedal at all. Yes, that's right, I kept both the shock and fork full open for the entirety of my ride. Despite the 160mm of travel and not utilizing the different shock modes, I think this was one of the most efficient full suspension bikes that I rode all week. Again, there's no fiction with the VPP, it's all fact. Awed by how capable the Tracer felt as I climbed, I decided that I had to really put it to the test on the descent. While I knew Captain Ahab would be a good descent, and was an absolutely fantastic trail, I decided to head towards some new-to-me terrain, the Jackson Trail. I had heard rumors claiming that riding Jackson was a death wish, that it was one of the most technical trails imaginable, and that you're guaranteed to walk almost the whole thing. I found none of those to be the case. Sure, it is pretty exposed. There's about a thousand foot drop to the Colorado River below, but if you stay on the trail, it's quite rideable. I did walk one section telling myself, there's a 500 foot drop to the river below. I told no one I was gonna ride this trail and nobody else seems to use it. Maybe I should play it safe. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe everyone overhyped the trail or maybe there's been some serious trail work done. Or maybe, just maybe, the tracer is just that good. Seriously, drops, ledges, chunky obstacles, steeps, switchbacks, everything just seemed to disappear beneath the tracer. The geometry felt spot on for everything from launching off drops to rolling cascading ledges to pedaling tricky sections to, well, really, I don't think there was anything the tracer did poorly at. It's not often that I have absolutely no complaints about a mountain bike, but the tracer is one of those rare rigs. I can't believe that such a bike exists that climbs and descends as well as the tracer. Now, some people might complain about the price, but with this component spec and considering the carbon frame, the Tracer definitely isn't priced over and above the rest of the market. I'd say that it's squarely in line with the rest of the market in price, but leaps and bounds ahead of some bikes in the performance category. The Tracer 275C is indeed a legendary creature, 
But when you meet this mythical unicorn, you'll realize that all the hype about magical powers isn't fiction. It's actually cold, hard fact. So clearly Greg enjoyed riding the Intense Tracer 275C, and he got to ride several other bikes as well at Outer Bike, so stay tuned for those reviews. Next up, we have 50 essential items to keep in your mountain bike emergency kit, and this one's by Michael Paul. Michael is actually a physician in real life, and so he's definitely got some interesting insights on the topic. Chances are, most of the time you ride, you'll never need anything but water and nutrition. Being prepared with an emergency kit, however, could help you give the old middle finger to Murphy and his law if disaster strikes. Different than a first aid kit, an emergency kit has more than just a few bandages and tape. There are two kinds of emergency kits that you need, one to keep on you when you ride and one to keep in your car. So rides may vary in length, intensity, technical features, and level of remoteness. Your average ride should dictate what you keep on you, and if you go far, you should have more than what you'd take on a lunch ride. Carrying a hydration pack or bike bag obviously allows you to carry everything you may need if you accidentally take a tumble in the tumbleweeds. First aid supplies are important, but you should also keep a few items in case of a bike mechanical breakdown. Taking a few basic things will increase your chances of egressing to safety. So here are some of the items you should keep in your pack. A pair of tweezers, which are great for cacti or bee stings. Band-aids, you can use them for blisters, small cuts, and holding larger pieces of flesh together. Ew. Sterile 4x4 gauze or curlics. This is great for larger wounds and scrapes. Ibuprofen or Tylenol will help reduce pain. Duct tape or medical tape to secure bandages, splints, and for just plain old fixing stuff. Benadryl is great for severe allergy attacks or as a treatment for anaphylaxis. An EpiPen, especially for those who suffer from anaphylactic reactions. Triple antibiotic ointments. Water purification tablets for longer rides when you might run out of water. Zip ties are handy for splints, temporary sutures, and everything in between. Emergency contact info is great to have in your pack. Save your life card. A lot of states sell these inexpensive cards that can help pay for rescue, which is good, sort of like a form of insurance. Mylar emergency blanket, important when you're riding in colder, wet conditions. A whistle can help signal if you need help because you become lost or incapacitated. Extra batteries, keep those in your pack for your cell phone. A derailleur hanger, Eventually, derailleur hangers are going to break, and it's usually at the most inconvenient time on a ride. A small multi-tool with a chain tool for trailside repairs, obviously. A chain link and tool. A bandana is good for wiping up messes, and you can also use it to improvise as a sling. Emergency sugar. So bring a gel shot and don't touch it unless you absolutely have to. And finally, money. In the event that you need to pay someone on the trail because they gave you some gear like a tube, uh, if you want to pay for a cab, make a phone call, or even buy emergency snacks. So this season, I've had to use several of these items listed above, both for emergencies and mechanical breakdowns. It's definitely not a question of if, but when. Ideally, you should also keep a pretty stocked first aid emergency kit in your car in the event that anything should happen to you, whether it's biking related or not. Consider that sometimes riders barely make it to their vehicle after sustaining a serious injury. Also, riders may be stranded due to injury, weather, or mechanical breakdown, so they're not able to seek immediate professional medical attention, especially in remote places. It's a good idea to keep things in your vehicle in case help is not imminent. So, in your vehicle kit, you're going to want to keep everything that's in your bike first aid kit, plus Curlix, which is a wrappable bandage for almost any major wound, an ACE bandage, good for strains or holding ice packs in place, a Coben, which is like an ACE bandage, but it sticks to itself. It's good for splints and, and bandaging things. 
Four by four bandage. These are great for larger wounds and punctures. Medical tape holds the bandages together. A sling is handy for shoulder dislocations, AC tears, clavicle fractures, etc. A SAM splint can be used for fractures and severe sprains and it'll help you get to the emergency room. Aluminum foam finger splints. You can get small ones that are pre-cut and formed for finger fractures. Water, obviously for dehydration, but also you can use it to clean wounds. It's a good idea to store it in a BPA-free container so that when it's sitting in your hot car, those chemicals aren't leaching into your water. Alcohol pads are great for quickly cleaning small wounds, removing adhesive, etc. Betadine or chlorhexidine. These are the preferred solutions for sterilizing wounds after you clean them out with water. Rubber gloves are good if you have to work on wounds, especially if you're working on another rider and you want to avoid bloodborne pathogens. Ice packs. You can buy these chemical packs that you break and they become cold in minutes. A razor is helpful for cleaning and repairing wounds. Quick clot. Now this one's debatable because it can be helpful to stop bleeding, but it also destroys tissue and may make it difficult for a physician to debride the area. Direct pressure should generally stop most bleeding. Trauma shears. These are great for cutting clothing, thick bandages, splints, etc. Matches or a lighter. A compass. This is helpful if you're lost, but you can also use it to direct emergency medical people to you when you're in the backcountry. Oral rehydration tablets. These are used in conjunction with water for mild to moderate dehydration. A flashlight is good in case you arrive at your car after dark with a medical emergency. Be sure to also pack extra batteries. Snacks and gel shots. These are nice if you're hungry, but sugar can also treat hypoglycemia. Personal medications. Always have a small supply of any pills you need for acute or chronic medical conditions. A multi-purpose tool for cutting, crimping, and everything else. Personal hygiene items to clean wounds or freshen up for an after-ride beer. Hand sanitizer. You can clean your hands and wounds with this if nothing else is available. Again, it's a good idea to have extra cash for gas, water, phone, etc. Bring maps of the areas that you frequent. Also, an extra set of car keys. You can store this outside your vehicle in case you lose yours on the trail. And finally, extra clothing to wear when you arrive back at your car if you're hypothermic or become stranded in your car during inclement weather. Now, there are a few things that you probably do not need to carry in your emergency kit. The first is a snake bite kit. A lot of people may not like to hear this, but a lot of times these kits are pretty much worthless. Snake bites shouldn't be treated with suction, a tourniquet, or by cutting X's over punctures. Generally, if you get a snake bite, you're going to want to seek a medical attention. Sutures. Unless you're a competent medical professional and have everything you need to suture properly, these are a bad idea. Dirty wounds that are sutured may harbor life-threatening anaerobic bacteria. If you need stitches, get to the nearest ER. Needles, IV fluids, tubing, etc. Unless you're an EMT, nurse, or physicians, these are products you'll probably never use. Though I have seen people without training carry them anyway in case someone else knows how to use them at the scene. Your emergency kit should definitely reflect the area you live and ride in, which would differ greatly if you lived in northern Alaska compared to southern Georgia. Be prepared for natural disasters such as blizzards or hurricanes if you become stranded anywhere on or off the road. Having the correct gear in your emergency kit is only part of the battle. If you spend a lot of time in the backcountry or riding and hiking in remote places, you should strongly consider wilderness survival and medical training. I encourage everyone, particularly backcountry athletes, to get certified in CPR. Although CPR survival rates are low in the general population, 
only about 3 to 5% outside of a hospital, they're far more successful in younger people and in athletes of all ages who may suffer an unexpected arrhythmia or irregular heartbeat. Some people actually purchase an AED or portable home defibrillator to keep in their car in the event of a sudden cardiac event after an accident or during a sporting event. They cost as little as $999 online. In addition, there are several agencies that offer courses on backcountry survival and how to treat medical injuries. The National Outdoor Leadership School, or NOLS, is one of the most popular. There are also disaster-specific courses, such as avalanche training, that may apply to your cycling or other hobbies. Whatever you decide to bring, ride smart and practice safety. Always tell someone where you're going and when you plan to return. Be as prepared as you can for conditions you'll face as a mountain biker and outdoor enthusiast. Life can be brutal and it does not discriminate. We got a few good comments on this article as well. Other people sharing items that they keep in their emergency kit. And one of the things that stood out to me is the Spot uh, GPS satellite device. And this is basically a device you can carry with you that has an oh crap button on it that you can use in the event of a serious emergency. And it notify emergency responders that you have a, a serious emergency and need someone to come extract you. Before we get to John's review of the Marin Pine Mountain mountain bike, I wanted to talk real quick about the Single Tracks forums. Some people may have noticed the forums on Single Tracks got a little quiet over the last year or so. And a big part of that was some technical issues we had with that part of the website. We're happy to announce now that the forums are back and they're way better than ever before. One of the issues that caused us to sort of neglect the forums was that they weren't really set up for viewing on a smartphone. So the new forums are designed to fit whatever screen you're looking at, which is really convenient for keeping up with conversations no matter where you are. We've also integrated forum topics into the site search so you can find relevant threads a lot easier. We got rid of a lot of the clutter and we've also pared everything down to just a single forum so new users can jump right in without feeling intimidated. Although a lot of single tracks conversations are currently happening on social media these days, we still see a lot of value in facilitating and archiving important conversations on the website itself. Plus, the forums also allow us to highlight and share trending topics that our editorial team might have missed. So if you're checking back into the forums after a bit of a hiatus, here are just a few interesting conversations you might have missed. So a few interesting topics include the best unpopular mountain bike brands and also an app that automatically complains about potholes on your bike commute. So be sure to check into the forums to read about these and other mountain bike topics. Finally, we've got John Fish's review of the Marin Pine Mountain 27.5 Plus. This is a bike that probably hasn't gotten a lot of press yet, so it's definitely an interesting review. The opening of Outer Bike is a frenzied melee as hundreds of riders who have waited an hour or more in the morning desert sun all sprint to the tent of their choice in hopes of getting the latest, greatest, most hype, or most desired bike as their first demo. If you've ever been to a Disney park during spring break and waited anxiously for the smiling mouseketeers to drop the rope so you can be first in line at your favorite ride, then you get the picture. Having done my research on every vendor attending Outer Bike and what new offering they might have which may have remained under the radar, I was hopeful that my place in line, a good hundred or more people behind the rope, would still allow me to secure a new ride without so much aggression or fear of waiting another hour in line at the tent only to find the guy in front of me took the last example of my choice. So as those in front of me sprinted to the Yeti, Santa Cruz, and Ibis tents, I calmly strolled up to the Marin tent, where there were just a few in front of me already being fitted for Marin's latest full suspension trail bikes. 
I scanned the rows of dozens of such offerings with high hopes that they had brought at least one size-large pine mountain. I worked my way across the racks until, tucked away in the back corner, I saw the matte silver frames and bright orange rigid forks, which made for quick recognition at a distance. And there were two of them. Surely one must be a large. It was, and with no suspension to set up, I was out on the trail in less time than it took the fourth person in line at the Santa Cruz tent to be told there were no more Bronsons in his size, even though he got up at 5 a.m. So the Pine Mountain is a fully rigid bike. You may also recall a Marin called the Pine Mountain from the mountain biking days of yore. As part of its 30th anniversary, Marin has resurrected this old nameplate in a new guise for the modern rider. Pine Mountain, it turns out, is a superb example of bringing back the joy of early mountain biking, but doing so in a way that should please today's enthusiasts, especially if those enthusiasts have a bit of a purist streak and appreciate simplicity in an updated form. The Pine Mountain starts with traditional sounding 4130 chromo tube set, but then welds it up in a very contemporary geometry specifically suited to creating a versatile 27.5 plus package. The frame carries multiple rack and fender eyelets and three water bottle mounts to support a major backwoods expedition. But I also found the geometry to be downright playful across all three dimensions, going up, down, or side to side. While most outer bikers were demoing fat and rigid bikes on the sandy roadways of the brand's trails, I immediately set out for the North 40 single track loop, which offered a nice variety of sandy to hard packed cruising, punctuated with more technical sections, including a couple strong upper intermediate rock sections. I carried the same stupid grin on my face throughout, regardless of what terrain I was on at any given moment. After four days in Moab, including double-digit mileage on my own rig and eight different demo bikes, all outstanding in their own way, I can say that my moments of greatest joy were spent on the Pine Mountain. While this version of the Pine Mountain doesn't have any suspension to worry about, the number two model though is available with a Fox 34 fork. It appears Marin put great thought into its parts package. The mostly SRAM 1x10 drivetrain was a perfect match for this bike and had it seamlessly scooting around the many quick ups and downs and tight rocky turns. I was a bit squeamish at first, noting it was sporting Schwalbe tires. At 200 pounds and not being a finesse rider, Schwalbe's always seem to be soft in the sidewalls as they inevitably bend under my attack, threatening potential disaster in any hard turn. But not this time. The 2.9 inch knobby nicks held up admirably and added to my confidence throwing this suspensionless bike around in all manner of terrain. Truly everything about this bike seemed perfect, right down to the nicely color coordinated house brand saddle. Now for the real kicker. Imagine my surprise when I arrived back at the Marin tent, most reluctantly I might add, and inquired as to the MSRP to find that it was a mere $989. Here I was having the absolute time of my life, grinning like a kid in a candy store, all because of a sub thousand dollar bike. I would have never thought it possible. Again, this attests to the care Marin put into building this bike together, selecting a parts kit that performs so well without breaking the bank. I would call this a crazy fun bike at any price, but at less than 10 Benjamins, it was hard not to just walk away with one right there on the spot. So what's the catch? For many, it's that whole rigid thing. But just as I used to think there is no such thing as a wicked fun bike for under a grand, I also used to think I'd never want to own a bike with no suspension. Most of today's mountain bikers have grown up with suspension, at least in the front end, and have no concept of how entertaining and rewarding a rigid bike can be. The plus tire size just amps up that fun factor to a whole new level. Weight is one other potential catch. This is a steel bike after all, and it's no featherweight. 
I won't tell you how much it weighs, but rather encourage you to give it a try before you inquire, so you won't have a preconceived notion in your head based on a number which, at least in the case of the Pine Mountain, is truly irrelevant. I'm loath to make bold predictions such as this bike is going to be a big seller, but I won't shy away from a very personal value judgment. I will finish by saying that this bike deserves to become a big seller. That's our last story today. Tune in tomorrow for a conversation between myself, Greg, and Aaron about this week's stories. Peace.